Well, good morning, New Hope Community Church. Uh, thank you for uh, tuning in and spending your Sunday morning with us. We're continuing our series in 1 Peter. Um, so if you have your Bibles, would you turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Jesus, the cornerstone of our identity and mission. Jesus, the cornerstone of our identity and mission. And my main goal in this message is that as we come and draw near to Jesus, that we would have a paradigm shift in our identity of who we are and our mission of what we do. Because, listen, our identity and our purpose and our mission, it matters. It is important because it it undergirds our existence and how we live our lives. And my prayer this morning is that you would have a Copernican revolution in our lives that we would never be the same. What is a Copernican revolution? Well, up until the 16th century, the world, the known world, had a very geocentric understanding of the universe. Under the teaching of uh, Ptolemy, an overwhelming majority of people, they believed that, erroneously that the universe, the stars, even the sun, uh, the moon, it revolved around the earth. That, so the earth was at the center of the universe and everything revolved around the sun. And it wasn't until Nicholas Copernicus uh, proposed not a geocentric understanding of the universe, but he proposed a heliocentric understanding of the universe where the sun is at the center of our universe and the moon and the stars and the earth, it would revolve around the sun. And this was a very big deal. This heliocentric understanding was met with a lot of opposition. In fact, um, February to March of uh, 1616, over 400 years ago, the Catholic Church opposed uh, Copernicus and they had a, a, a ban on uh, Copernican teaching. But still, uh, Copernicus, tried and true, his system prevailed and it marked the start of the scientific revolution that set the foundation of modern science. It allowed uh, science to flourish as an autonomous discipline separate from the church. And my prayer this morning is that from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12, we have a paradigm shift. We have a Copernican. We have a renewal of the mind, as Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says. That's, that's how we're transformed, that we have a, a shift in our understanding of how we view ourselves and what our identity, and what we do here on earth, which is our purpose or our mission, and that it would forever change who we are and what we do. So let's go on our text, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, 
and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, I love that, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. In every shape, way, or form, we need you in our lives. We're not like the foolish Galatians where we um, started off and we are saved by faith and we don't expect to be complete, completed and perfected by our works. Lord, we come in the posture, Lord, of the disciples where in John chapter 6, you, when people started abandoning you, you turned to Peter and the disciples and said, Will you abandon me too? Will you leave me too? And they replied, Lord, where else can we go? Where else can we turn to? For you alone have words of eternal life. And Lord, we have nowhere else to go except for you. You have brought depth to our existence, that you have brought substance to our everyday lives, that you have brought wholeness to us. And so, Father, I pray right now as your word is being preached, um, that you would prepare people's hearts, that you would stir our affections towards you, Jesus, that we would hear and receive and welcome your word as, and, as truth and live them out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, before we get to our main point this morning, uh, let me make two observations about the context that will bring meaning and, and depth into our uh, pericope or context here. Uh, first observation is this, that this is the sixth exhortation or admonition or command in 1 Peter uh, so far. It starts off in verse 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13 to set our hope on the day of his return. The second command is be holy, verse 15 to 16. Verses 17 to 21, we are to live in fear we are to love one another deeply, verses 22 to 25. Uh, we are to grow in the grace of our salvation, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And today, this is the sixth command or the sixth uh, exhortation, which is build a spiritual house or being built into a spiritual house. And the second thing I want to point out is that uh, Peter, he shifts analogy here. Because in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, he uses the analogy of family. Remember that? He says, like newborn babes, like newborn babies long for pure spiritual milk, so we're children, that you may grow into salvation. But here, uh, starting in verse 4, uh, Peter, he begins to change the analogy from family into a spiritual house. And then uh, starting 
in verse uh, 6, he goes, he quotes like Hosea, he quotes Isaiah uh, twice, and he starts quoting like the Old Testament like crazy. But um, let's just go to our takeaway point. And here's the main point that I want us to live out today and that I want, I pray that you have a Copernican revolution. I pray that you have a shift in your understanding. And it is this, would you write this down? Draw near to Jesus to live out your identity and mission. Draw near to Jesus. Come to Jesus to live out your identity and your mission. So what Peter does is that he underscores his audience's identity. That they are, remember in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1, that they are the elect exile. That in light of Christ coming and the effects of the crucifixion and the resurrection, uh, Peter in, in verse 4 here, he really begins to highlight the work of the cross and the resurrection that it initiates, it inaugurates the end times of the people of God, meaning that he is referencing Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22, that there's going to be a new heaven, there's going to be a new earth. Echoing 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that behold in Christ all things are new, that there's a new creation. All that to say, you guys, is this, that through the life, the death, the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, He ushers in a new creation. He does something new, where, whereas Adam failed, and Moses failed, and Abraham failed, and Israel failed, and David failed, and the monarchs and the kings failed. God's like, you know what, I'm going to do something brand new that through Jesus, through the seed of Christ, that he is going to have a new people unto himself. And he begins to, in, in verse 4 here, uh, really undertake on the identity and the mission of God's people. Look at verse 4. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by, by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So verse 4, it starts off with this adverbial participle of coming to Jesus. It says, as you come to Him. Uh, the word there is to move towards a point of reference, uh, to move toward, uh, to approach, or to come near. It echoes James chapter 4, verse 8, Draw near to God, and He will draw near unto you. And Peter is saying here, Hey, as you begin to draw near to God, because you have been born again, because you are the elect exiles of, of God, as you have nourished, as you have longed and desired for pure spiritual milk, he says, you begin to draw near unto God. And look at how Peter describes him here. He says, as you come near to him, who's what? A living stone. He's just not any stone, but he is a living stone. And I believe what Peter does here, he highlights this word living, and he alludes to the resurrection of Jesus. Remember Jesus in John chapter 2, verse 19, where Jesus answered and told him, Hey, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. He was talking about his physical body, his resurrection, but he 
uses this analogy of his body and uses it as a temple. So, if you're taking notes here, you could write in the brackets, uh, Psalm 118, that if you come to the living stone, rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, what we have here is, um, would you write this down? God desires what man rejects. God, He desires what man or what people rejects. This is God's MO. It's His modus operandi, right? That He desires and He accepts and He receives what man rejects. He says, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. If you think about Moses, that he was rejected by his own people, the Hebrews, that he was exiled out by his Hanai family or his Hanai nation, the, the Egyptians. He was exiled out and, and rejected by his own people. He was in, exiled in the wilderness, in the desert of Midian, but yet God chose him. If you look at David, even his own family, he was the youngest uh, and he, it says he was ruddy, he was overlooked. And his own family rejected him, but God does not look on the outside, he looks where? On the inside. If you look at John the Baptist, he lived out in the wilderness. You know, he was a gnarly dude. Uh, for, for Bebedees, he wore camel's hair and he ate locusts, meaning he ate grasshoppers and wild honey and wandered around in the wilderness. He was rejected and exiled by men, but he was, ex uh, but God accepted him and chose him to be the forerunner. And it's the same way with Jesus. As Easter is coming along the corner and we look through the trial of Barabbas and Jesus, and the crowd had a choice, either set Barabbas, this murderous thief, let him go, or let Jesus go, what did the crowd choose? They chose set Barabbas free. Jesus was rejected by man, but to God, he is chosen and precious. And so here's the action point for us as we talk about the main point of drawing near to Jesus. As you come to him, the living stone, draw near to Jesus and live out your identity and mission. Number one, would you write this down? Live out your identity that we are a kingdom of priests. You are a kingdom of priests. Look at verse 5. It says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Because Jesus is the living stone, if we come to Him, we become like Him. What happens to Christ happens to those who are in Christ. If you look at Jesus, He lived, He died, He was buried, He was resurrected. What happened to Christ happens to those who are in Christ. What happens when we put our faith in Christ? We get baptized. What happens? We get baptized. We die to our old self. We are submerged in our death to our old self. We are raised up from the water. We associate ourselves to the newness of life, to the resurrection power of Jesus. 
And Peter say, hey, because Jesus, he is this living stone. He is the spiritual house. As you come closer to Jesus, as you draw near to Jesus, you become like Jesus. Jesus is the living stone. He is the cornerstone. And if we come near to him, then we ourselves, our identity, who we are, is that we become spiritual house of God. Not only that, but Peter says that you become, you and I, when we put our faith in Christ, we become a kingdom of priests. This idea of kingdom of priests, it, it, it comes from Exodus chapter 19. Look at Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. It says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me, what? A kingdom of priests. A holy nation, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. You know, this is church, so I got to tell the truth here and I got to be honest, but I have a strange uh, driving habit. Anytime I suddenly notice when I'm driving off, driving in Kalani Anaole Highway, and I see a forerunner with a bright blue LED on the roof, meaning that they're police. My right foot that was on the gas, it just automatically, without thinking about it, I, as soon as I see a forerunner, right, a police, my right foot just withdraws from the gas. And I look, triple check to make sure that I'm in the speed limit. And I also put my hand right on the right position and just make sure that I got both hands and I'm not on my phone. Um, the crazy thing is moments before that, I possess the same knowledge of all the traffic regulations, the speed limits, but listen, the physical presence of a representative of a law makes that knowledge tangible. Sometimes an embodied presence captures an attention in a way that abstract memories do not. What's my point of saying this? My point of saying this is this, that Israel was to be the visible reality of God's kingdom here on earth. They were to be a physical kingdom of priests. In Exodus chapter 19, where P Peter gets this allusion from, or this reference from, God just delivered Israel through the Exodus. He just set them free from the bondage of Egypt. He guided them, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And God sets them free. And here in Exodus 19, on Mount Sinai, God tells them, hey, I've set you free. You are now my treasured people. Listen, you are to me a holy nation. You belong to me. You are a special possession among all the people. You are, you, are, you are my treasured possession. You are a kingdom of priests. And what that simply, well, all I'm trying to say here is this, that Israel were to be 
a physical representative, just like a cop is to the law. Israel was to be a representative, a visible reality of the kingdom of God here on earth. But you know what happened in Exodus 19? The people, they were in terror. God grumbled in the mountain and God spoke to them and the people were like, uh, you know what? We don't want to be your royal priesthood and kingdom of priests. Why don't you send Moses? And Moses is like, uh, I don't want to do it. Uh, why don't we have Aaron and his sons? So the, the priests and the line of Aaron, that, that's who became the kingdom of priests. And I, you know, what's funny is that uh, when God told Israel, hey, you're to, your special possession, your treasured possession, you're a chosen people, you're a holy nation, you're a kingdom of priests. Uh, Israel was like, uh, nah, we're good. Nah, that's not for me. You want to know a pet peeve of my wife, Renee? Her pet peeve is when you say, I'm good. Like when you say, hey, do you want something to drink? She goes, nah, I'm good. You want something to eat? Nah, I'm good. Oh, you want a jacket, uh, a towel as we go to the beach? Nah, I'm good. It's like, what does that even mean? Nah, I'm good. Like, no, thank you. I'm full. No, thank you. I'm, I already have a towel. And so when God calls Israel, he says, hey, what do you guys, uh, you're my special people. They're like, nah, we're, we're, nah, we're good. Send Moses. Moses is like, nah, don't use me. Use Aaron. And Aaron failed. Ultimately, it, Aaron fails. But listen, through the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, establishing a new heaven and a new earth, a greater priest came, but not from the line of Aaron. Rather, he came from the order of Melchizedek, the royal priest king in, Gen in Genesis 14 through Genesis 14. Jesus, he serves as this high priest, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20, who mediates between us and God. And Jesus' work as a high priest, he completes and he eclipses the Aaronic, Aaron's line, priesthood. And because if you are in Christ and Jesus is this living stone, we, we become like him in who we are. In other words, we find our identity as the priesthood of God. Our identity is that we are the royal priesthood of God, that we are the visible reality here on earth. And our identity has a function or a purpose or a mission. So let's go to number two. Uh, the second point of number one is live out your mission, which is to what? Serve God in worship. Look at verse five. It says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Our identity is that we are a kingdom of a priest. We are not consumers. We are not just church growers, but listen, we are a royal priest serving God, offering sacrifices unto Him. You're a royal priest to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What does this all mean? What are the implications? The implications are this, that we go to church 
not to be blessed, but we go to church to be a blessing. That we don't go to church, we are the church. We are the kingdom of priests. We need to have this Copernican revolution. We need to change our paradigm, change our thinking of being consumers. That we consume. We go to church. We, um, oh, we consume the air condition. Oh, there's, I'll go to church if there's accessible parking. I'll go to church if they have the right time. Oh, the church, they better have a good ministry program. And we just consume. Or, man, uh, the, the youth group, they better teach my kids not to vape or not to have premarital sex or any of that stuff. Um, you know, we go to church and we consume and we want a good sermon or we want to be entertained or we want to be fed and we critique and we just take and take and we consume. The church is not a cruise ship. The church is a battleship. We are not consumer. We're, we are kingdom of priests. And... You know, this is some of the pictures that's happened um, that one of our uh, volunteers took of our church, an uh, in-person church. Look at that. This is three hours before church even starts at 7 a.m. We have these teenagers carrying this couch to make room for chairs. And there's even kindergartners in the couch. I'm not saying whose kid that is, but... It's mine. <laughs> That's Ezra. All right. Um, here's this next slide. Look at the smile. Look at the sacrifice of praise and, and serving. That is church. That is being the church. That is doing church. That's not going to church. That's serving God. That's offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God in Christ Jesus. Look at this other slide. They're greeting each other. Hebrews says, don't neglect the assembly of the brethren, but greet each other. As you see the day coming, the Bible also says that we're to greet each other with a holy kiss, that the people, they gather, we encourage one another. Here's another slide. And this is, a, once again, the Kukumus. Look at Jerome and Tiffany worshiping God. You know, Jerome, he, in his van, before church starts, he packs up the van, goes to the Academy Learning Hub by himself or along with Gavin, his son. They, they get all the chairs. They load up um, into their van. They bring it to Kahala Mall. They uh, distribute the chairs. And after that, after church is done, they load them up, back up and then, in their van and then drop it off again at the Academy Learning Hub. This is offering sacrifice unto God that's pleasing through Jesus Christ. And Tiffany, she serves in the children's ark. Uh, speaking of the children's ministry, this is one of our dear volunteers, that is uh, Tammy, uh, just loving on the kids, teaching them Jesus, showing them um, ways in which Jesus loves them and, and ways that they could understand. And I want to say something about this and we'll continue for next week. And is this, that you are part of something bigger than yourself. Oftentimes here in Christianity, especially here in America, it's an individual decision. In a sea of people, all heads bowed and eyes closed, 
raise your hand. It's an individual. I receive you as my personal Lord, my personal Savior. But when you do that, you are part of something bigger. You become a kingdom of priests. The church, these elect exiles, you and me, we become the, the visible reality of God's kingdom here on earth. We are the city that's set on a hill that displays light in the midst of darkness. The church has a history, a rich heritage. Do you know that in Rome, when they discarded babies and they were getting rid of babies and they would be throwing them over the bridge, over the water, Christians with their boats and they would be catching the babies and saving lives and, and preserving life. Christians uh, started orphanages. If you look at the major hospitals, it's St. Jude or Seventh-day Adventists. They all start with churches, that the churches are the beacon of light that reach to the poor and to the needy. They're a bastion of light that helps the refugees, that feeds the poor, that clothes the homeless, that supports single moms. And we get to be a part. Your identity, yes, you're an individual Christian, but your and my identity is that we are a kingdom of priests, that we are salt and light. Salt meaning that we have a preservative aspect that until Jesus Christ comes back, until His second advent, salt is a preservative. Yes, it brings flavor, but it preserves. We preserve the goodness and the kindness of God. We preserve a sense of justice of who God is. And when we, when we are the church and we function as the kingdom of priests, that's our identity. Our mission is to serve God. We worship. Even in online church, I encourage you, when it's worship time, lift your hands, sing unto the Lord. Uh, Hebrews says, offer unto sacrifices unto God with the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. So when we, our identity and our mission as a church is to move forward the kingdom of God. We are a kingdom of a priest, We're a royal priesthood, a people of his own special possession, and we offer spiritual sacrifices unto God. Amen. And so may I encourage you that you have a spiritual blessing in Christ. In Christ, you have a spiritual blessing greater than the prophets. That the mystery of the gospel has been revealed to you. The church revealed at, through Jesus Christ who we are now. Listen. Ephesians 1 says that God has revealed to us the mystery of His will to these last days. Earlier in 1 Peter, it says that uh, the prophets, they prophesied what days or time, the seasons, till the full salvation of God is revealed. Meaning that you have something now in Christ Jesus that Moses never had, that Abraham never had, that David never had. You have something greater than Joshua who prayed for the sun to stand still and it stood still. You have something greater than Moses who talked to God like a man talks to his friend. You are in Christ Jesus. You are a kingdom of priests. You have something greater than Ezekiel who had these prophecies. He served 
They understood that you were serving not themselves, but that they were serving you and me because we have the full revelation of, of the consummation of the kingdom of God here now. And so, I encourage you, be the church, get involved, get connected, serve God, worship God, offer up sacrifices unto Him. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this time where we can gather in your name and hear your word. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would shift from being consumers, that we, Lord, become partakers, that we are a kingdom of priests in Jesus' name. So, Lord, I pray right now that you would stir in our hearts, that we would be renewed in our minds, and that we would be transformed, Lord, that we would come not to be blessed, but we come to be a blessing unto you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would make our lives count for the kingdom of God, that we will not waste away our lives, that our, our identity will not be found in what we have or what other people say or what we do, but our identity will be found in, in you, that we are beloved, that as we come near to you, as we draw near to you, the living stone, that we ourselves are being built up into a spiritual house. And so, Father, I pray that you would make our lives count for the gospel and for your kingdom. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, if you're able, we'd love to see you for, for in-person service, 10 o'clock at Kahalambal. Uh, the old T-Mobile spot. It's right next to H&R Block. And don't forget to join us for Night of Worship, April 6th at 7 p.m. Wednesday. All right. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord give you peace. Amen. We love you guys. Have an amazing week.